It's just one of those cities, you know? Some people love it, some people hate it, but when it comes to startups, you gotta respect Mumbai. It's the financial capital of India, the fashion capital of India, the entertainment capital of India, and it's a really tough city to live and work in. The hustle culture, the competition. I mean, if you can make it in Mumbai, you can probably make it just about anywhere else. And in Startup Genome's Global Startup Ecosystem Report of 2021, Mumbai ranked number one globally out of 100 emerging ecosystems, outperforming all of them in terms of performance, funding, experience, and talent. And the city is home to upwards of 10 10,000 startups, according to the Government of India's Startup India portal. And while of course we won't get a chance to talk about all of them in this video, we'll at least talk about 10, the top 10 Mumbai startups, coming up right after this. Starting things off at number 10, we have omni-channel furniture marketplace Pepperfry. The startup was founded by two former eBay employees, Amrish Murthy and Ashish Shah, back in 2011 as Strand Sutra Platform Services. And this was way before IKEA entered India. It was even before Amazon.in or homegrown startups like Livespace, Urban Ladder, Wakefit. I mean, Pepperfry was pretty early to the online furniture space. But in 2012, after they launched the site, they actually weren't just focusing on furniture. They were also selling home decor and clothes, jewelry, perfume, cosmetics. I mean, they were closer in competition to e-commerce websites like Flipkart and Snapdeal at that time. And Nike wouldn't be founded until later in the year, so the online beauty market was also still in a pretty nascent stage as well. Basically, Pepperfry was taking a very horizontal approach. They were offering a lot of different products, but this actually wasn't benefiting them financially. Their customers were happy, but they realized pretty early on that if they were going to succeed as a startup, they were going to need to focus on one product category, and that category ended up being furniture slash home decor. This was in early 2013, and by the end of 2014, they'd already opened their first offline location, Pepperfry Studio in Mumbai. Today, they've expanded their offline retail presence to 41 locations across 22 cities, and their investors have poured $285.3 million into the company at a valuation of $462 million during their Series F round in February of 2020. Next up at number nine, we have Neobank startup Jupiter. So Jupiter was started by Jitendra Gupta, whose first big startup success was fintech startup Citrus Pay. He was acquired by PayU when they bought Citrus Pay for $130 million. And after his time as PayU's managing director came to an end in 2019, Jitendra hinted in a tweet that his next startup, of course, was going to be a fintech company. And this tweet became a reality when he started Jupiter that same year. So as a neobank, Jupiter is 100% digital. They don't have any offline locations. There's no offline interview or application process involving physical documents. It's all totally online. And the way that they're able to do this is they partnered with an RBI licensed bank called Federal Bank to offer their customers legitimate bank accounts. And with these bank accounts, they're able to offer products like Jupiter Edge, which is a sort of buy now, pay later credit hybrid, a salary advance account, and of course, a traditional debit card as well. And that's about as offline as Jupiter gets really, those little pieces of plastic. Now, Jupiter wouldn't have been able to do all this without the financial support that they've received from their investors, who so far have poured $155 million into the company at a valuation of $711 million back in December of 2021. And they're going to be using these funds to keep making their totally online bank as compelling and as exciting as possible for new and existing customers. Moving into number eight, we have instant grocery delivery startup Zepto. 
So a lot of people don't realize this, but Adit Palicha and Kaivalya Vora actually grew up in Dubai, but they usually visit India twice a year to see their grandparents. And it was during their school days in Dubai that they got into entrepreneurship with the launch of a startup called GoPool. For this fledgling company, they actually got a grant from a government-owned Emirati bank called Emirates MBD worth about 10 lakh rupees. And GoPool, of course, didn't take off, but Adit and Kaivalya still had that entrepreneurial itch. They wanted to build something new. And so when they were forced to make a choice between attending their first semester of computer science at Stanford online from India and delaying their joining to start a new company, well, they chose the latter. But they didn't immediately begin with Zepto. Instead, their second startup was called Kiranakart, a Mumbai-based grocery delivery startup that partnered with Kiranas to deliver items to customers. But they quickly realized that being the middleman between Kiranas and customers just wasn't a scalable model. Instead, they decided to replace Kiranas. They would stock items themselves, and instead of picking things up from Kiranas, delivery drivers would pick things up from dark stores. With this pivot, they decided to shut Kiranakart down in March of 2021 and replaced it with Zepto in April of 2021, the 10-minute or less grocery delivery service that has expanded now out of Mumbai and into all of the metros of India minus Ahmedabad. At the time of me filming this video, Zepto is a sunicorn. They were last valued at $900 million back in May of 2022, and their investors have poured $360 million into the company so far so that they can continue to expand their offerings. One example of this is Zepto Cafe. In April of 2022, a year after launching Zepto, they entered a new category, fresh snack delivery. By partnering with restaurants and cafes, like Blue Tokai, Chaios, Guru Kripa Snacks, and Sassy Teaspoon, they've been able to deliver break time foods like tea, coffee, and samosas on demand. Coming to number seven now, we have omni-channel beauty startup Purple. Now, a lot of people don't realize this, but Purple actually entered India's beauty and cosmetic space before Nika. The company was incorporated in 2011 as Manash Lifestyle Private Limited by three IITians, Manish Taneja, Rahul Dush, and Soyash Katyayani. And the reason that they got into the beauty space is the same as Nika. They saw it as a massive opportunity. See, beauty products are relatively inexpensive to produce, but they sell at very high prices. And what's more, in the early teens, the penetration of Western-style beauty products in India wasn't very deep. There was a lot of untapped market potential. Now, you might be wondering, what differentiates Purple from Nika? Besides the fact that Nika is public and Purple is private, and Nika is founded by a woman and Purple is founded by men. Well, one of the biggest differences is that Nika follows an inventory model. They sell directly to consumers from their own inventory, meaning that they buy the products of other brands and then sell them, or alternatively, they sell their own private label products under the Nika name. And they've been allowed to do this because of their Indian ownership. A majority of the company is Indian owned, and so they're allowed to have an inventory-led model. Purple, though, doesn't have this luxury. They have to follow a marketplace model, where they act as a middleman between sellers and buyers. This also means that if they want to sell private label products under the Purple name or any other private label that they have, then they have to sell these products to vendors who can then sell them to consumers via the Purple marketplace. So it's a B2B2C approach here. And that's why even if you buy a Purple product on the Purple website, the product is actually being sold by a third party, not Purple directly. In spite of this limitation though, which is a result of a majority of the company being owned by foreign investors, Purple has managed to thrive. They have over 600 foreign and Indian brands on their marketplace and were last valued at $1.1 billion in June of 2022, making them a unicorn. Oh, and their investors have poured $296.3 million into the company so far. Next up at number six, we have EdTech startup Elite School. 
Started by Smita Diora and Sumit Mehta back in 2012, Lead School takes an interesting approach to EdTech. Rather than trying to replace schools or offer extracurricular coaching or tutoring the way a lot of other EdTech platforms do, Lead School is actually a B2B SaaS play. When a school signs up with Lead, they gain access to Lead's international standard curriculum, their back-end SaaS systems, which allow faculty to manage things like admissions, students, classrooms, and grades, all from a single online platform. There's also a gamified homework system System that feels very similar to something that you'd find offered by, for example, Baiju's. Then you've got smart TVs with audio-visual lessons to keep kids interested in the classroom. And then, of course, the secret sauce here, the way that LEAD is actually able to make money, is that these offerings, this school upgrade system that they have, actually brings in a lot of extra revenue for the school because parents want to send their kids to LEAD-powered schools. And so even though LEAD school's business model charges schools based on the number of students that they have per year, the school ends up seeing a worthwhile ROI for this investment in the long run. They've got upwards of 3,500 schools signed up with them in more than 400 cities. And in 2022, they achieved a valuation of $1.1 billion, making them the third startup unicorn of the year. So far, their investors have poured $166 million into the company so that they can continue to transform schools in India and also expand internationally. Moving into number five, we have InsureTech startup Akko. Now, Akko's story actually begins all the way back in 2007, when Varundua and Ruchi Deepak met while working for American investment firm Franklin Templeton Investments. Varun would end up leaving the company the following year and beginning his entrepreneurial journey in 2010 with the launch of Glitterbug Technologies. Now, this was just a software design company based in Mumbai, but many of their clients were insurance companies, ICICI Prudential, Tata AIG Life, and Aviva Life Insurance. Building software and websites for these companies made Varun realize that while India's big insurance providers dominated the offline market, they still hadn't figured out how to go online. That's why they were reaching out to Glitterbug. And so he decided that instead of helping them to build their own individual websites and platforms, he was gonna instead build a marketplace where insurers could find customers and customers could find insurers. This platform is called Coverfox and it's actually still around. They have over 40 insurers on this marketplace. And it was while Varun was building Coverfox that he and Ruchi reconnected. In 2014, she quit her job at Matrix Partners and joined Coverfox as an advisor. And this is normally where the story would have ended. Things were going well, Coverfox was a successful company, but Varun and Ruchi couldn't help but notice that there were still gaps in India's insurance space. They had built a marketplace, yes, but the insurers on that marketplace were still the same old traditional companies that Indians had been buying insurance from for years. So in 2016, Varun and Ruchi launched Akko, a new insurance provider that would make the process of buying and claiming insurance fast, easy, and affordable. They got a license to sell insurance in 2017, and today they've sold car, taxi, bike, and health insurance to 50 million unique customers. So far, their investors have poured $458 million into the company at a valuation of $1.1 billion in October of 2021, making Akko an InsureTech unicorn. Coming into number four now, we have another EdTech startup, Upgrad. Back in 2014, Mayank Kumar was managing the investment arm of Bertelsmann India, and while he was helping them to invest in a number of sectors, the one that really caught his attention was India's edtech space. Because after helping Bertelsmann make a couple of edtech investments, he realized that a lot of these companies were focusing on the K-12 space. Very few of them were focusing on higher education. So Mayank decided that this was going to be the space that he was going to target. He onboarded three co-founders, Falgun Kompali, Ravi Jochuk, and Rani Skruala, and started Upgrad in March of 2014. 
2015. Now, VCs tend to follow trends. There are very few investors out there who want to be the first to take a risk on a new idea. So a lot of Upgrad's funding in the early days, because they were such a new idea, came out of the pockets of its founders, with Ronnie Scruella being the biggest investor, and Upgrad has continued to be a capital-intensive business to this day. Their investors have poured $201 million into the company so far at a $1.2 billion valuation as of August of 2021, and a large chunk of this was actually spent on acquisitions. For example, their most recent acquisition was InSofe, an educational organization that focuses on data and analytics education programs. So now, Upgrad is offering those same programs to their customers. Next up at number three, we have cloud kitchen startup Rebel Foods. Now, this startup actually has a really fascinating story because it actually began with a single offline QSR restaurant in Pune called Fasos in 2003. The founders of this company, J.D. Barman and Kalol Banerjee, invested four lakh rupees to start this business, and in the early days, they were actually spending more money on AC bills than they were earning from their roles. In fact, they were even borrowing from their wives' salaries to pay the salaries of their Fasos employees. In spite of this, though, they opened a second location, this time without AC, and were able to stop bleeding money by the middle of 2004. Of course, even then, money was really tight, so Jaydeep had to stop being a full-time entrepreneur and ended up going back to work. And he left two employees to run the business while he earned enough from his day job to pay them and keep his own family alive too. Later on, once things had stabilized, Jaydeep and Golo went to do their MBAs in France, leaving their two employees to run fossils. But not surprisingly, these two employees wised up and realized that they could basically do this themselves as owners instead of as employees. So they told Jaydeep and Golo the same and after a bit of back and forth, agreed to let Jadib and Kolo keep the Faso's brand name as their own IP, but the company acting as a franchisee for that brand would not be owned by Jadib and Kolo. It was only in 2010 that Jadib decided to return to the Faso's brand and build it up into a national QSR chain. Kolo joined him in 2011, and today Faso's has 500 restaurants across 10 countries, making it the largest global Indian origin quick service restaurant, according to Business Standard. Of course, Faso's is just one small part of Rebel Foods, which was founded in 2014 and is today the parent company of Fossils along with 45 other brands. So like I said earlier, Rebel Foods is a cloud kitchen startup. They operate something called internet kitchens. Basically, these are kitchens specifically catering to people ordering food online using platforms like Swiggy or Zomato. And they have more than 4,000 of these online kitchens across 70 cities globally. Now, not surprisingly, this is a very capital intensive business to be in, opening so many cloud kitchens around the world. And so for that, Rebel Foods investors have poured $534.5 million into the company, which was last valued at $1.4 billion in October of 2021. Moving into number two now, we have India's first ever crypto unicorn, CoinDCX. Founded by two friends, Niraj Gandhawal and Sumit Gupta in 2018, CoinDCX has had a rough journey. They launched their platform in April of 2018, just a couple of weeks after the RBI banned crypto transactions in India. Now, at that time, existing crypto exchanges like ZebPay had shut down their domestic operations and others like CoinEx had shut down completely. But because CoinDCX was founded in the midst of this uncertainty, they were able to adapt to the situation, focusing on strengthening their platform by adding new features features and products in spite of the fact that they weren't seeing a lot of growth. 
By 2019, they had only managed to onboard 50,000 users, and so they made the decision to register a Singapore entity, PrimeStack Private Limited, as a way of ensuring their survival amidst the regulatory uncertainty that had caused their competitors to shut down. Then, in 2020, the RBI's crypto ban was overturned by the Supreme Court, and many of CoinDCX's competitors by this point had given up, or they were forced to revamp their defunct India-focused services and products. But CoinDCX, on the other hand, was ready with a very impressive catalog of products and services. Today, they're one of the leading crypto exchanges in India with more than 13 million users, and they've raised a total of $244 million from their investors at a $2 billion valuation as of August of 2021 to continue increasing their customer base and widening the adoption of cryptocurrency in India. And finally, coming in at number one, we have health tech startup FarmEasy. Two friends, Darmil Shet and Dawa Shaha, started the company in 2015 with a really simple yet powerful goal, make healthcare completely doorstep deliverable in India. However, actually accomplishing this is a little bit more difficult in the pharmacy category than it is in other e-commerce product categories that we've talked about so far in this video, like furniture or beauty products, because pharmaceuticals require a prescription. They need to be sold by a pharmacy. Luckily, India is full of pharmacies, so the way that PharmEasy works is kind of like Swiggy or Zomato. Instead of stocking and selling pharmaceuticals themselves, PharmEasy acts as a middleman between pharmacies and customers. A customer orders prescription medicine on PharmEasy, PharmEasy verifies the authenticity of that prescription, and then they place an order at the nearest pharmacy for that customer. Following this, PharmEasy's delivery driver picks the medicine up and delivers it to the customer. And their offerings go beyond medicine too. They offer doorstep diagnostic tests, online consultations, and they also connect patients with hospitals for surgeries too. So far, Farmeezy's investors have poured $1.6 billion into the company so far at a $5.4 billion valuation as of October of 2021. And now Farmeezy is also planning to go public in 2022 at a valuation of between seven and $8 billion. All right, that was our list of the top 10 Mumbai startups. I really hope you enjoyed the video. And now just a couple of footnotes. First of all, Nika was not included in this video because they are publicly traded company now. They don't qualify as a startup. We also didn't include Book My Show in this list because we consider them to be too old to qualify as a startup. They were founded back in 1999. And then one last thing is that this list was arranged in increasing order of valuation, just in case you are wondering. Oh, and leave a comment down below and let us know which city you'd like us to cover in a future top 10 video. All right, I will see you in the next one.